Hello and welcome back to the Nick Tiffany's Movie Reviews in the podcast form. Coming at you today with our second review of a 2023 film, and that is Tetris, streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. That's where I watched it last night, and I gotta tell you, I was pretty pleasantly surprised and a little shocked by how much I enjoyed this story about the world's most popular game and how it came to be such a household and worldwide phenomenon. Um, Tetris, only recently, I think in 2019, was the highest selling, most popular game in the world. Um, only surpassed by Minecraft, which seems a little crazy, but the Minecraft craze was pretty real though too. So I can somewhat understand that. But uh, the Tetris longevity from the 80s into almost the 2020s is kind of insane. Um, what really kind of drew my interest more than anything in this project uh, is lead actor Taron Egerton, who you might know as Eggsy from the Kingsman movies. He played Elton John and Rocket Man, Eddie the Eagle. Um, he's done just some fantastic work and is one of my favorite finds as far as an actor goes in the last... 10 years even on the, you know, as far as a younger actor kind of coming onto the scene. Um, he should have had an Oscar nomination and maybe an Oscar for his role in Rocket Man. Um, and he is just such an excitable actor. Um, he's just so enjoyable to watch. Uh, Matthew Vaughn, who produced and directed those Kingsman movies, who also produced Rocket Man, uh, also produced Eddie the Eagle, you know, this is their fifth time kind of collaborating. Um, and so it's cool to see Edgerton kind of have that uh, that role model who kind of is helping him along, following his career, investing in his career. Because um, he's such a terrific actor. Um, so Taron Edgerton plays Hank Rogers, who owns and works for Bulletproof Computing and Games. Uh, you know, he's been making... 8-bit games, and he's at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in the 80s, you know, just trying to get someone to buy into his game. He's like, it's kind of like chess, but harder. <laughs> you know, this is the time where arcade games and arcades are just sweeping the nation. Video games are taking over. Um, and the idea of a handheld gaming device, nothing like that has ever been propositioned. I'm sure it's been propositioned, but nothing had been done. There was no handheld console at the time. And Hank is just taken by this game, flipping the blocks, getting them to complete, blowing apart the bottom level once you get them all lined up. Um, it's so simple, but so enjoyable, and so frustrating when you don't flip the piece right. It seems... You know, kind of like what I thought this movie would be. It seems too simple to tell a story about a pretty simple game. But I was wrong. Because this game, the history behind it, is just fascinating. On top of a huge debacle when it comes to licensing and fees. And who technically has the rights to distribute this where? And if they've got the rights in this country, could we get it in another country? Could we get the computer rights? Could we get the arcade rights? What's feasible for us here? Because Hank himself lives in Japan. Um, you know, he's got four kids with his wife. Um, they'd met in Hawaii in school. 
He said he followed her back to Tokyo and had been there ever since. So that's kind of his base of operations. But, uh, you know, he does tons of international business. So when he gets involved in Tetris, I mean, he is literally willing to bet the house that this is the game that's going to take over. And if he can play his cards right, he can end up getting it in the right hands and shipped with the right products. You know, he could make money. They're going to make money, whoever invests in it. Everybody's going to win. Or so he thought. Because, of course, that's just too easy. There is a complicated, you know, almost web or ripple effect. Because the game started in Russia by a guy named Alexei Pajitnov, played by uh, Nikita Efremov. And, you know, to him, like a lot of people at the time, and perhaps a lot of people in the Soviet Union during the Cold War, it's there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. There's not a lot by the way of hope, by the way of, you know, escaping this feeling that something's happening in the background, something's looming over us. So you couple that with the fact that he lives in communist Soviet Russia, where, you know, you're not allowed to sell something outside of Russia. You know, the idea that you, the individual, would sell something and make profit off of it, that's just, that's unheard of. That doesn't work in the in the Communist Party there. Um, so it's a huge, huge no-no. But something happens. Alexei is visited by a Robert Stein, played by Toby Jones, and he's approached for the rights to make this a computer game and for the rights to distribute te- Tetris in computers or computer game forms however he so desires. Um, and it's a tricky situation because, again, you know, he's like, oh, we're Russian, we, I cannot take your money for this, I can't do that, I can't give it to you, but, you know... To Robert Stein's credit, he was persistent. And he kept trying to acquire the rights, and so eventually he did. And then Tetris got out of Russia. And it started spreading all over the world. And it really started gaining a fan base. And so Robert Stein says, Hey, I probably need some backing if I want to take this game higher as well. So I'm going to go to the Maxwell's. Kevin Maxwell, and his father, Robert, who ran um, Mirrorsoft. And, you know, Robert was a billionaire mogul who owned all sorts of uh, news and distribution sites. Um, He's no longer the CEO. His son, Kevin, is. But uh, the two of them are both involved pretty heavily in terms of, hey, you know, we've got a company that can distribute this. We recognize this could make us money. So what we want are the rights from uh, from Robert Stein. We need those to a degree. And then, uh, then we can really take off and make money. Meanwhile, Hank is trying to distribute Tetris in Japan. And he's trying to pitch to Nintendo. Thinking, hey, you know what? If we could package this with something, if you guys could make game cartridges for this, whether it's just in Japan, because that's all he has the rights to Tetris for, um, you know, this could really be something big. And that's when he really kind of starts learning, okay, maybe I don't have the rights to do this for a handheld because 
Nintendo's working on a Game Boy. And Tetris could come prepackaged with this. Because this is a game anybody in the family can play. And it's not just kids that you're advertising this to with Super Mario. Adults will pay Tetris. Adults will pay $89.99 or $79.99, whatever it was, for the first Game Boy. Um, and so already there's just so much fascinating video game history here. You know, meeting with Nintendo's president, whether it's the admiration for the games they've created and wanting to build something in the future, visiting the Seattle Nintendo headquarters, which was, you know, just fun because that's somewhere I've driven by countless times. Um, everything's looking like the only way it's going to get done is if you can get into Russia and if you can get to Alexei and if you can get Illorg which is the electronic organization that kind of uh, represents Russia and the Soviet Union at the time. You know, we got to jump through these hoops and we got to get these signatures and make these deals happen if we're really going to distribute Tetris like that worldwide. You know, so we don't get sued, so there's nothing done illegally. But that's a pretty big risk because, you know, Russia's just not going to let anybody in politically business-wise, you know, they don't want capitalists coming in there trying to do this. So you got to go in as a tourist. And this is where the story really just kind of changed, and it almost becomes an espionage-like thriller. Um, Because the Soviets and the KGB, you know, they're all almost kind of playing games too, because what's the best for Russia? How can we get the best thing out of this deal? We also don't want Americans coming here and trying to take Russian property and sell it, so there's intimidation. There's just... I I was just blown away by how many layers there were. Just, you know, licensing aside, um, just learning about... or more about Soviet Russia at the time, or just the Communist Party and this idea of truly, you know, you're not able... To profit off of this creation that you've made because you've made it for the country. If it gets out, if it gets sold, it is for Mother Russia. Um, and of course, Hank is just, you know, a do-good American guy. Um, he's the only person who's probably really being honest and not trying to screw anybody over because he realizes, he's like, this is bigger than any of this. And it seems silly to say that and say this maybe, but it's like, there are mediums that transcend politics that transcend our borders and all the extra crap in this world there are so many things that unite people that make us more alike than we are or than we realize um and games movies books you know concerts experiences um are universal and so this was something he knew and he believed in so much. But it, I, it was just crazy to see how involved he was in this story, traveling all around the world, just trying to get the... I'm like, for anybody who's really interested in video games, if you're interested in computing, um, understanding some of the history behind that is just fascinating. Um, so already, you know, maybe this movie was a little more tailor-made for me. I thought immediately of my dad while watching this because I was like, oh, he's going to love this. He's going to geek out and totally, totally enjoy it because, you know, the film, um, while it is live action, you know, it's got fun digital 8-bit fade-outs or, 
you know, sometimes the, as the characters are introduced, they're 8-bit at first, or as you move through the different chapters of the story, essentially, it's different levels. Um, so they do tie in little bits of video games into the overall story. It's nothing that gets annoying. You know, if anything, it's more cute and just kind of like, oh, like, that's kind of fun, you know? Um, it's nothing that makes or breaks the movie. Um, but I just, you know, it's not a perfect movie, but again, I just, I feel like I I was thinking (laughs) the other day, um, when I had started reviewing, you know, I got a, a nickname pretty quick. (laughs) They used to call me old four star, you know, I would just see so many movies a week. You know, I was doing 200 movies a week. Uh, not a week, a year, um, writing reviews, seeing so many different kinds of stories. Sometimes, obviously, you know, obviously if you see 200 movies a year, there's going to be some duds. There's going to be a lot that's right in the middle of the road. And for me, middle of the road at the time, you know, being in high school, doing all this film reviewing and interviews and all these different things, I was just happy to have a seat at the table. I was happy, you know, I'm like, you know, uh, rarely did I see a movie that was so bad that I was, like, annoyed that I went out of my way to go see it. Or it's like, ah, I had to drive to Seattle and come all the way out here for this. You know, in most cases, if there was a really bad movie, at least we all kind of had fun with it at the screening. Um, But, you know, but because of this, because... I was probably a little more naive. I'm not saying I'm jaded and cynical now. Some might say I've gotten a little bit more, but uh but I don't know. I just I loved watching movies and I loved going to the theater. I loved being surprised by true stories, fake stories, um and anything in between. And so so I don't know. Was I a little overly generous to some films? Definitely. Have a lot of those film grades probably changed from a four to a three? Probably. You know, some of them a three and a half. Some of them, you know, may have gotten that extra half star bump up. Um, But it just, you know, it's, it is the weirdest part of reviewing and doing this. Um, Because when you really enjoy a movie, when it really surprises you, obviously there are things that could have been a little bit tighter. I'm sure... There were more than a few fantastical elements added to this script. Um, You know, and a few scenes that were definitely more on the cheesy side. Um, But all in all, I I just had a great time with this movie. It's not the best movie ever made. It's not trying to be. Um, I think they know what they're doing with the story that they're telling. And they just found a really fun and unique way to tell and make this story maybe more interesting than it was on paper. Um, But for anybody with an appreciation of video games or gaming and programming or anything like this, it's just really cool uh, to see a little bit of this backstory and see how this game really did go on to change the world and the the trouble that it took to get there. Um, Taron Edgerton's great. Once you get past the fact that his acting coach... Or his American accent (laughs) sounds just like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street. Whether it's the enunciation and talking about selling. Because there's a lot of selling going on. And you could almost, I was waiting for him to give you the eye. That DiCaprio eye that he gives you. 
when he's looking at you real close, trying to sell this deal or sell that pen. It's uh, I immediately like five minutes in the movie, I turned to my friend Preston. I was like, you know who he sounds like right now? And before I could even say it, he's like, he kind of sounds like Leo actually a little bit. Uh, my fiance kind of reminded me. She's like, well, you know, you got to know that a lot of salesmen, obviously they have that kind of voice. They have a way that they speak. And it sometimes does really draw you in. You know, you're like, crap, it's working. You know, except this time they weren't selling a crap product, which was great. Um, so if you have Apple TV Plus, um, not only are there some really terrific original TV shows streaming on there um, outside of Ted Lasso, which is great. Um, but, uh, you know, I haven't checked out Shrinking yet. I've been told that's fantastic. Um, Apple kind of like HBO to a degree, they really are trying to take a lot of their projects seriously and they're not just pumping out a lot of Netflix horrible shows that are just going to get eaten up in a week and spat out. Um, there is a degree of quality on Apple that I do appreciate. Some kind of maybe say it's snobby like HBO, but you know, I'd rather have something more meaningful and worked on to a, a more serious degree than something that you're just going to throw away and wait for a schlocky sequel or something, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I would implore you to watch this film. If you got a free night, you know, you could stay in, make some popcorn. It makes for a really good two hours. You know, um, I'm not saying it's going to change your world or anything, but Again, it doesn't have to. It's just a really great time and a really enjoyable movie. And, you know, maybe you'll order a handheld Tetris device after that. You know, I thought of Brick Breaker and so many things like that that I grew up playing. Um, Bejeweled, all these different kinds of things. All that inspiration, the block destruction, it all comes from Tetris. Um, so, you know, you keep those things in mind. Nothing that we use now, including the microphone and computer and phone that I'm using here, headphones, you know, that wasn't simple stuff. And we often really take for granted the technology that we have. A lot of, yeah, it's, technology has automated and ruined some things, sure. But so many things have just made our life so much easier. And it's really cool to see the people who created it get credit. So that's what we've got for Tetris. Join us next time as we keep chugging along through 2023. So far, we're two for two. Hope that keeps up.